So at work, I identified a security flaw in a system that left us, left us open to attack. There is a simple fix to this flaw, which I propose should be implemented. The fix involves some costs, and the request was declined because of the cost. So I repeated and emailed the request several times over succeeding weeks and illustrated that um, we needed to implement the fix because this security vulnerability was being exploited more and more. Again, nothing was done. Eventually, one weekend, the attacks escalated and overwhelmed our system. At that point, the money was spent to implement the fix I'd suggested months before, but we had several days' work kind of sorting it all out. I wonder if you've ever had an experience like that in any organisation. Um, <clears throat> now, truth be told, some of my project proposals are accepted and implemented, but it's funny how we tend to remember the rejected proposals more. Don't you find that? And uh, at our best moments, we know that making decisions is tough and someone has to do it. So, you know, we know that we need to back those in our organisation who have to make the decisions. We understand that decisions sometimes will necessarily disappoint someone. And we know that decisions shouldn't actually be driven by the need to avoid disappointing other people. You do know that, don't you? It was one of the biggest leadership lessons I've learned in my life, was to realise I'm not responsible for your disappointment, even when my decision led to you being disappointed. I'll let you think about that. Anyway, why am I telling you all of this? Well, because when we make a request from our line manager, it's just a little bit like making a request of God. And just like with our boss, when we make a request of God, we tend to remember the requests that got turned down much more than the requests that got answered. Yeah? And uh, many of us in this church recently have completed the unanswered prayer course. Yes, you heard that right, the unanswered prayer course, based on Pete Gregg's excellent book, God on Mute. I recommend this, but today's passage from John's Gospel includes an account of answered prayer. So, so that's our focus. I'm not thinking about unanswered prayer, I'm thinking about answered prayer. So we're going to be looking at the next section of John's Gospel, following on from previous weeks. It'll be in John chapter 4. It'll come up on the screen, but if you have a Bible or an app, you're welcome to go to John 4, verse 43. Now, as we heard last Sunday, when we looked at the previous section in John's Gospel, Jesus is on a journey from Judea. That's where Jerusalem is, Bethlehem is. And he's going up to the northern area of, of, of where the Jews lived at that time called Galilee. And on the journey, he had to pass through an area called Samaria. And the people of Judea looked down on the people of Galilee, but they really disliked the Samaritans of Samaria. So despite wanting to get to Galilee quickly... Uh, and go through Samaria quickly, an opportunity arose for Jesus to share his message of life with the Samaritans. We heard about this last week. So Jesus stayed for two days in, in the city of Sychar to seize that opportunity. And then we read now from verse 43 what happened next. After the two days in Sychar, he left for Galilee. Brackets. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honour in his own country close bracket. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there, because all faithful Jews would want to go down to Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival. So we have a little bit of a choice here, because we, on one hand, Jesus says, 
uh, it says Jesus ha- had said that he, that he had no honor in his own country. And then it says when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So we have to work out, okay, which was Jesus' own country? Samaria isn't his own country, and he was honored there when he visited. So we have a choice. Is his home country Galilee, or is it Judea? And you see, he was brought up in Galilee, but he was born in Judea. So, you know, which is it? Well, different people take it different ways. You can say it means Galilee, in which case, when um, John records that when Jesus arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, he's probably being sarcastic. That's the only way to make sense of it. But more likely, I think John thought that Judea was his home country, and that's where Jesus wasn't honoured very well, and that he, it was really pretty much a genuine welcome when he arrived in Galilee, okay? And that's what verse 45 is emphasising. They, the Galileans, had seen all that Jesus had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had been there because they'd gone on pilgrimage. So we read on in verse 46, once more he visited Cana in Galilee, because that's where we were back in chapter 2, which happens to be the last time I was preaching here on a Sunday morning, the place where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. It's about 15 or 20 miles away, right down on the Lake of Galilee. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And Jesus replies... This is the next slide. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. So let's back up and analyse this. The royal official, probably therefore employed by King Herod Antipas, he's a, Herod, he's a son of the Herod the Great of the Nativity stories, okay? The Herods were all very nasty pieces of work, by the way. Um, this is the one that killed John the Baptist. Anyway, he's, uh, this royal official has made this journey. It would have been uphill all the way because Cana's most likely, we don't know exactly where it is, most likely up in a mountainous area. He comes from the Sea of Galilee. So he's come uphill 15 or 20 miles. That's a whole day's travelling. And perhaps he'd been to Jerusalem for the Passover. So he'd seen something of Jesus' miracles. He'd heard his teaching. He'd seen him getting right in the face of the Pharisees. And so he just, he comes back from Passover, pilgrimage. His son is very ill. And he's heard that Jesus has come back to Galilee. And he thinks, I'm going to see that guy because I've seen him heal people. And, um, but... Uh, so, so that's why he's come. But the question is, why does Jesus say what he says here in verse 48? Um, if we could put verse 48 up. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. I, mean, I don't know about you, but that's pretty off-putting, isn't it? It's quite dismissive, bit, bits kind of abrupt. And it's not the first time, because as I say, when I was speaking from uh, John 2 a few weeks back, when Jesus was last in Cana, he was very off-putting to his mother as well. In fact, there's a couple of other occasions in John's Gospel where Jesus is off-putting. And actually, if you go back in the whole of the Bible, there are numerous occasions when God is abrupt, dismissive, off-putting in response to requests. And I think we have to think about how we account for this. We've said several times this morning we often sing that God's welcoming us that the scripture says that he will never reject anyone who comes to him. And I believe that, 
But we also need to factor in, there are times when Jesus seems to be dismissive, abrupt, off-putting. Now, so is this because God is moody? You need to approach him on a good day? I did used to think this because... Uh, with all due respect, my mother's recently died, but when we were children, my mother was very moody, and my sister and I were quite frightened of her. I said that at her funeral, and uh, we had to, um, well, it was true, and uh, it changed a lot. She was changed by Jesus, but we were frightened of her because she was very moody, and so once I became a Christian, I kind of had a model of parenting, which was a moody parent, and I had to learn, no, God is not moody. Um, So uh, uh, that is not true. But nevertheless, we have to account for why Jesus spoke in this way. And I I found, and I just throw this out to you, you you have to work your own answer out. But for me, if I spend all my time thinking, well, God's got a bad attitude, it stops me from thinking about what my attitude is. And I found that when I take the hump against God, it doesn't really move me any further forward. I just get stuck. And so I find in Scripture, every time people take the hump when God is off-putting, they end up stuck. But in Scripture, every time people do not take the hump but press their requests with God, they are able to move forward. So I just want to say to you, don't, get in, don't take the hump with God. And we see verse 49 here, what happens here. The royal official, he's not, he doesn't take the hump. He just says, sir, come down before my child dies. All he's caring about is his son, and he will not be put off. And I see in Scripture that God loves people who won't be put off. Right? And, and so something about what he's doing there is, is actually, it's not our job to test God or judge God. But as a good father, he sometimes wants to test how much we want something, why we want it, because those things matter, and he knows they matter. And so let's forget ourselves, stop having attitudes, and just push through with Jesus with a simple, clean faith and obedience, walking forward, looking for miracles. And that's what I'd throw out to you about that. So there is, of course, one way in which God does invite us to test him. You can read about that in Malachi 3. Um, But I won't, the the slides are there, but if we can skip those slides, Gaz, because we need to move along. So here, as I say, the royal officer does not get an attitude. He persists with his first request. And in response, Jesus decrees the healing for which he was requesting. So we read verse 49, 50. The royal official says, sir, come down before my child dies. He's respectful. He doesn't get, he's not bothered about Jesus off-putting. And Jesus replies, go. Your son will live. What amazing words to hear hey, from the son of God. Your son will live. The man, we are told, took Jesus at his word and departed. These are wonderful, wonderful words. What better advice? If you don't remember anything else of this morning, please remember this phrase. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And how does this play out? Verse 51. While he was still on the way, going back to Capernaum, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Verse 53, then the father realized 
that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. This is the second one John records. I want to pull out three lessons from this, okay? So lesson one, let's take Jesus at his word, or as the, some versions put it, English Standard Version, for example, believe the word Jesus speaks. Let's believe the word Jesus speaks. Right? We, we do not live on bread alone, but we live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I don't know about you, but I, I love the Bible because in it I find living word. We need the word. And so he, he heard this. I've got all kinds of examples in my life, but I know when our daughters were teenagers, they're in their 30s now, I, I became... Teenagers are often challenging, aren't they? Some of you haven't dis discovered that yet, or you may remember when you were a teenager, and uh, you'll get your comeuppance one day if you have children. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of conflict with one of them about coming back from school with writing on her hand. She would write stuff on her hand or let other people do that. And, and it's, I know it's, it's not. It's a first world problem. It's, it's a middle class problem in all honesty. So it probably wouldn't be any problem to most of you, but it was bugging me and I was getting, stop writing on your hands. And, you know, parents, you often, it was a mistake. You fixate on stupid things, don't you? And you need to try and fight the right battles. And I think I was probably fighting the wrong battle. But, you know, I was wondering, do they have faith? It's important to me that they believe in Jesus. And uh, it, it had kind of multiplied and got pretty heavy in my heart. And one morning I woke early, really heavy in heart for both my daughters. You know, did they have faith? Would they continue in their faith? Uh, uh, were they going to make shipwreck of their lives? And I went to my usual place in the house to pray. It's good to have a usual place if you can, isn't it? Even if, you know, Wesley's wife she just used to sit in the corner of the kitchen and pull her apron over herself to pray. That, that might be all you need to, if you have a big enough apron. Um, and I asked God for his help. I said, God, I need a word from you because I'm just in a place of fear. I am I'm anxious. I'm in a place of anxiety about our daughters. Could I trust him for the outcome of their lives? And I, I, I just keep a bookmark in my Bible so I know where the next bit is to read. And in the Old Testament, having said God speak to me, I opened my Bible and went to the bookmark. And the next bit to read was Isaiah 44, verse 1. And so here's, here, here, here it comes. Is the, is the, is, here we go, yeah. But now listen, Jacob, my servant. Wow, that had my attention. I'd just been asking God to speak to me. And he says, listen, so I'm putting Andrew in there for Jacob and all the other names. Is that okay? You know you're allowed to do that. Andrew, whom I've chosen. Yes. <laughs> this is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb and who will help you. That's good. I'm wanting help. I need help. Do not be afraid, Andrew, my servant. Andrew, whom I've chosen. Yes. Yes. Okay. I'm going to let go of the fear. All right. Verse three. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring. That means children, yeah. And my blessing on your descendants. That means your children, yeah. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Do you think I had God's attention? Do you think he had my attention? 
Yes, he did. And I was thinking, okay, God, I receive that. I receive this, Father. Thank you, thank you. And then verse 5, some will say, this is some of your offspring will say, I belong to the Lord. Yes, yes. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. In other words, Israel, to be among God's people. Still others will write on their hand (laughs) the Lord's and will take the name of Israel. Okay, God, I was blown away. Did this mean that things were happy for our family after that? That the children behaved? No, it did not. But you know what it introduced? Faith. The word of God and faith. And that made a difference. And I'm sure you'll have... I have lots of other stories like this, and I'm sure you do. And... uh, and both my daughters now in their 30s are following Jesus still, and they turned out okay. Pretty brilliant, I think. But there we go. That was the grace of God. Lesson two, then. That was lesson one. Take Jesus at his word. Lesson two. Never mind how many prayers have gone unanswered. Just persist in making your request of God. It's just as simple as that. You know, Nike's slogan, just do it. You've just got to keep on asking. Uh, Read Luke 18, the beginning of that, for a parable Jesus told about just keeping on asking. And, uh, you know, don't get an attitude and, and learn how not to let disappointment shape your faith, but rather learn how to let God's word shape your faith. You know, I, I heard somebody say this, to be an effective leader, you learn to navigate disappointment without downsizing your calling. Because disappointment can, can cause us to kind of retrench and retrench and become smaller and smaller in our expectation. But we don't have to let it do that. Don't let disappointment win. Let Jesus win. Um, disappointment, bad attitudes, they are all to do with looking backwards. But God's word and faith in his word is about looking forwards. And we need God's help to look forwards because I so often want to look backwards in my disappointment and I need God to help me to look forwards and my persistence will help. So I just, I I simply say, ask God for his grace to go again and ask again, okay? And here's my lesson three. Um, capture, find a way to capture, record what you have asked God for. Um, This is just a practical thing. You you can ignore this, but I'll explain why I'm proposing it and uh, and give you some stories about that. So over many years, I found that I simply forgot what exactly I had requested of God. And so I was never quite sure had God answered a, a prayer I'd made or not. Could you follow my problem? And, um, in a, if, you, if you're brought up in an oral culture where there's not much writing, you will have the most extraordinary memory. But we don't live, most of us, I don't think, live in an oral culture. We live in a written culture. So actually, we don't remember stuff. We just drop it in our phone or whatever. Yeah, And that means you have to capture it, I suggest. It may be different for you, but I have a very good forgettery. And so um, I, I find that, for me, that meant writing journals. This is one of my journals from 2013. I'm going to read some of it to you in a moment. Now, my hit rate is probably, I don't know, 1% to 5%. It's very, very low as far as, you know, but just the fact that any prayers are answered is addictive. It really stirs you to keep on praying to God. And I hope many of you are enjoying that. And no doubt, I'm sure many of you keep journals. 
So can I just go through some prayers that were answered in, in, from my book? Because it's, we often will talk, and we had the whole unanswered prayer course, so there are many unanswered prayers. There are many unanswered prayers in this book, but there are some that were answered. 2013 was actually a really tough year for, for us as a family, for Elspeth and I, and 2012 had been an even more rubbish year. At that time, we were living down in, uh, in Surrey. I'd been the lead uh, team leader at a church there called Beacon Church, another church in the same family of churches as this one, Catalyst, network of churches. Um, about similar-sized church, but a lot more older adults and teenagers and much fewer children, okay? It was Friday, 6th of December, 2013, and I was standing outside a building I wanted for that church. There's a picture of this building here. It's on the main shopping street. And um, 10,000 square feet, you can see an aerial view, you can't really see it probably, built as a supermarket in 1965. And at Beacon Church, we'd had several failed attempts to buy buildings over several years. But in 2013, I'd come to the conviction that God really wanted us to have a building. The building's not the church, right? We are the church. But we were hiring about six different buildings to house multiple activities, and I thought we needed to co-locate stuff. Now, at first, at first, we looked at a large warehouse, detached warehouse, again, about 10,000 square feet, but they wanted 1.25 million for it. That's a lot of money, isn't it? And we worked out refurbishing, fitting it out, would bring it to about 1.8 million. We went to the church, said, how much would people pledge? And when we added up all the pledges, it wasn't enough. So thought, OK, that's not a runner. We looked at another building, it was about 5,000 square feet, they wanted 900,000 pounds, it just seemed too much money for that space. Now this former, you can see it was a coffee shop, that's a picture before we got it, while the signage was remained the same anyway. And um, uh, we'd had a meeting about you know, what we wanted, and I'd always, you know, I used to go to this coffee shop for meetings with people, I liked it. And I thought, I'm going to walk to that coffee shop and have coffee there because I'd like that building. So I went there. And it had a sign up saying it was to let. I thought, wow, OK, it's actually available. So we started negotiating for, the, for a lease and, um, and such like. And then um, I decided, felt in my heart, that I wanted to ask God for the freehold, not just to lease it, but to buy the freehold. Okay, And the reason was, in 2012, we had had a major, major mess-up in the leadership at the church. Um, 20 to 30 people, 30% of the folk had left. Listen, I'm sorry if you're visiting church and you thought, oh, that's just what I thought church would be like. It, yeah, I'm sorry, families are messy, aren't they? Sometimes. Let's not do that here. It's good. Um, and uh, so I was then leading forward with, with a dear friend, Pradeep. We were a leadership team of two. Uh, we'd had quite a lot of bad word stuff to deal with, you know, and false allegations and stuff. And like Elisha and Joshua, we wanted God to demonstrate to us and to the church that he was with us because we, we were pressing forward in a fresh season. We'd looked to get a mortgage for buying a building, but the church numbers had dropped, the income had dropped, so we'd had deficits. We couldn't get a mortgage. So, um, and at the same time, a friend in the church, Anne, became ill, very, very ill. So I was praying that God would heal Anne and that he'd give us this building. And what's more, I was saying, I want God, I want the freehold. 
And so that's what I've got recorded in this prayer book. So we instructed a commercial agent who was called Mark to act for the church in the negotiations. This building was owned by a real estate investment trust specialising in retail premises. They had about 2,500 similar properties. Uh, and I asked Mark to get us the freehold, to ask to buy the freehold. And he said, in his professional opinion, we would never get it. Well, I told him, well, we're Christians and we're praying. So, you know, he wasn't rude or anything. He was working for us. We were paying him. Very great. He was a great guy to work with. I said, we're Christians. We're praying. You ask if we can have the freehold. And so, and, and, and I feel a bit kind of vulnerable, but I'm just going to read. I think I might be quirky keeping a journal like this, but anyway, I'm just going to go for it, okay? So I said, this, this is the Monday, 22nd of August, 2013. I pray that Mark will have great favour approaching internos, these were the people, about buying the freehold. Give it to us, I pray. I'm not wanting to test you, Lord, but I could do with encouragement and clear evidence that you are in us getting this building. So I ask, do something wonderful. Let us get it for 30,000 a year lease. I was still open to that then. Or the freehold for 700,000. Right? I thought that was a bargain price compared with what we'd been asked for for those other buildings. Yeah. So then, Friday 23rd of August. Father God, there really is no other God. You alone are Lord of all. Nobody can command you, correct you, call you to account, resist you, threaten you, defeat you, surprise you. You are the preeminent supreme being in the universe. Nobody compares to you. Nothing is too difficult for you. You can give us the freehold of 95 to 101 Guildford Street. Father, we ask you for it. Let Mark succeed in getting it. I ask that you will reveal your glory to Mark by the way doors open to him. Let him marvel that the way is open beyond what he'd expect from his own influence, status and skill and who he knows. Show that your hand is with me. I call on you to demonstrate you are with me. Put me on a roll, Lord. And Father, heal Anne Wilson. Right? Okay, so I'm going, I'm going for these requests. Um, th th Tuesday, 27th of August, Jesus Christ, give us the freehold of 95 to 101 Guildford Street. Hear my prayer. I know you love me, but I'm seeking that which will make you famous and cause more people to realize you are with me. That's a biblical way to pray, you know. Demonstrate your hand on me, I ask. So next, the agent came back to us, Mark, and said this real estate investment trust was in trouble because they'd brought all these buildings just before the 2008 financial crash. There was a big, well-known high street bank, you'll all know it, I won't name it, that had given them mortgages on all these buildings that were now bigger than the value that they had. And so they were going to be selling all these buildings off. But he said, you still won't get this building because they'll sell them in bundles of 50 build, you know, buildings to other real estate investment trusts. Um, so... Um, uh, so we, but I told him, well, we're still praying, so you're still going to ask. Um, so then, Friday 23rd of August, I oh know, I've already done that one, haven't I? So where are we now? Um, was it this one? Not sure. Oh, yes, the 27th of August, I was still praying that. Yeah, I've already read that one. So, so then we get to... Um, Saturday, the 31st of August. Living God, Lord, I ask that you give us the freehold of 95 to 101 Guildford Street. How much money would entice them to sell? 
And then I was obviously losing my faith a bit because instead of asking for 700, I said 800,000, God, I think, <laughs> you know. Give wisdom, Lord, and etc. So, you know, you, you waver in unbelief, don't you? You're kind of not sure what's going to happen. And um, so, meanwhile, um, the hospital had referred Anne uh, um, to uh, the hospice um, um, because they diagnosed her, they'd done MRI scan, and they diagnosed her with um, pancreatic cancer. Right? You know that's one of those cancers where there's very few symptoms. It just creeps up on you and you get it. Are you okay, guys, if I uh, just tell you that, that story? Is that okay? Um, and um, so she'd been referred to the hospice. They said, there's nothing more we can do. They'd referred her to the hospice. The hospice delivered like a special bed and all kinds of equipment that they would use to make her comfortable as she died. She was put on a palliative pathway, yeah? And um, honestly, that was, that was really difficult. The hospital said, there's one procedure we could do to make it more comfortable as you die. Would you like that procedure? And she opted to have it. Um, but it was really, um, you know, that was difficult, and now I've lost my place in here. Um, so, uh, much earlier on. Anyway, as it happens, um, eventually, uh, one day, this is the day I started mentioning, the 6th of September, I was in Chertsey. I was actually in a doorway just opposite this building, for reasons I won't explain, it's another story. Uh, I was kind of working on my phone, and my phone pinged. And it, the phone was, uh, my phone pinged with an email. It was an email from Mark forwarding an email from Internos. And it said, yes, we're willing to sell the freehold and we'd like 495,000 pounds, right? But we want to see your bank statement to show that you have this money within three weeks, right? Um, and there were certain on costs, you know, stamp duty, land tax and stuff like that. So, um, next day, Saturday, 7th of September. Father, thank you that the door to buy the freehold at Guildford Street is now available. Keep it open, Lord, and enable us to raise the funds, I ask. Living Lord, show us the best way to go about, you know, and so on. Um, and I prayed for specific amounts of money. Um, let's move this along. Um, so, um, and we still had to, there were still more negotiations because the thing could trip over. 12th of September, glorious Lord, I magnify you. You keep your promises, and I believe that at this time you will release the building to us. Fulfill your promise and grant that I'll be able to rest in the assurance that this building is ours and we will have the freehold shortly. I pray you'll move today as um, there was a meeting. Uh, let there be favour and provide, I pray. And I also ask for a miracle of healing for Anne Wilson. She's not right, Father. Let her be loose from this oppression. Um, and then it's 14th of September. Living Lord, you are glorious, but we find the tension between your promise and our reality almost unbearable at times. I'm so grieved to hear that Anne Wilson has pancreatic cancer. That was when this news came. Please rescue her, Lord, from imminent death. Let her have old age. Deliver her from cancer. Heal her body from the malignant cells. And, and, and prayed a whole stretch of prayers uh, for her. Um, and then I prayed for the money for the building. You know, about that time, I kind of said to God, look, if, I, if I've got a, I don't know whether I'll even get either of these prayers answered, but if it's one or the other, I know it doesn't work like that, God, but if it was, let's have Anne healed, right, rather than the building, yep. 
And so, um, so the offer was accepted. You know, we got the money, and it all came along. And it was, it, I felt like someone who dreamed. You know that psalm? We felt like those who dreamed. It's just amazing. And, and, and it was helped by the fact that I had a record of how I'd asked for things and then could definitely point, because I'd written it, it's a contemporaneous account of what I had written. 19th of November, Holy Father, I love you. I am especially excited today because yesterday I signed the instruments of purchase on Guildford Street. That does excite me very much, Lord. And if it had fallen through and were it still to do so, my disappointment would be great. However, I would still love you. You are the most important focus, priority person in my life. I want all my boast to be in you, all my hope to be in you, all my joy to be in you. And meanwhile, I believe I am allowed to rejoice in other things, provided I rejoice in the thing for itself, not as a badge or a mark of status or success. That would be to use it wrongly. I pray instead for grace to use this building for the kingdom of God. Amen. Um, Friday, 22nd of November. Holy Lord, we magnify you. You're utterly glorious. All your words are yes and amen in Christ. They are twice tested and always proved true. You cannot lie because you are the personal definition of truth. What you are is truth. Anything that contradicts you is lies. And all that you say is what you intend. What you name is what you call forth and create. Father, the building is ours, surely. You have given it to us. We still haven't exchanged contracts. There's none who can, can be compared with you. You are supreme, exceptional, without compare, without competitor. You know, it's so important in prayer to go back to God and who he is, isn't it? To, 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 you are answerable to no one, I write. There's no rule book, constitution, bill of rights, etc., which stands over you or above you. You are the Lord. You are the King of kings. You are almighty God. I sit with you. And then I go out to my duties from the place of true final authority. You have decreed, I believe, that we will have this building. And I pray for grace to stand on that ground in Christ. Amen. God did give us the building, thank you. Wonderfully. Um, so, uh, and I, so then we have a prayer that we've exchanged contracts and I magnify you. And the other wonderful thing was that they then, in the hospital, they took Anne back in to do the procedure and they said, oh, it's not cancer after all. It's a cyst, fluid fist cyst. She was very ill and this cyst was pressing on things and causing all this illness. And they were able to treat that and she's still alive. She recovered, she's still alive. And I don't know whether it was a healing. They said they'd mistakenly diagnosed her. But a GP in our church said she knew this specialist and they'd done MRI and she said to not be able to tell between a cyst, a fluid-filled cyst and a malignant tumour, that would be a big, big error. So she said, I think that's a miracle. So whatever it is, I thank God for it. So three things as you go away. How can I be more diligent believing what scripture states? What would enable me to be more persistent in prayer? And how do we capture, record what we've asked of God? Right? Let's, the band could come up. We're going to sing a song, do it again in just a moment. Excuse the time taken to share those things with you. Mm. Father God, we, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters. 
we see that this world is in rebellion against you. And you have called us to be connection points, connecting heaven's resources with earth's needs. And that's why you taught us the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray you'll send us out this week freshly invigorated to be agents of your action in earth, on the earth. Not foolishly, naively thinking everything's going to happen. We don't understand all these mysteries, but we will not give up, Father God. Right? If you are determined not to give up going after God, but to be his agent, why don't you stand uh, this morning to say to God, yep, I, I'm signing on again. I'm not going to give up. I want to keep pressing on with you. I, you may have multiple discouragements. I have had many in my life. But I believe it was the best choice I ever made just to keep on pressing on with Jesus, to keep on looking to him to intervene. And even if it's just a tiny percentage of the time, I want to thank God for those times. So bless all my brothers and sisters and those who, who feel too bruised or too broken. Thank you. We have different seasons in our lives and you draw near to us. You come alongside us. You lift us and you carry us. But we want to pray, do it again, Lord God, and help us to take you at your word. Amen.